If you want to go ahead, you can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We will get there. You know, there's a strange phenomenon going on among God's people today. I mean, it's not brand new. It's been going on as long as I, as I remember it. It's strange, and I'd call it weird. And it's weird when you compare today's believers to the Acts chapter 2, the first century believers. Because the Bible shows us that those believers, they went to God in prayer. They asked God to do something, and they expected God to do it. And they weren't surprised when it happened. For us, it's just the opposite. We pray, and sometimes today, we get shocked when God actually comes through. Those folks back then, they believed it and they prayed and it happened. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little different for those who visit with us today. I use videos from some time today. I want to illustrate two points through video process. The first short video is a video, it's a takeaway from the movie Fireproof. Now, here's what's happened. Two teenage girls have gotten in a car wreck and they're trapped on a railroad track. Pay attention, if you will. And then I'll tell you how it equates to prayer. prayer plays into that. Well, Ken Bevel is the African-American man that had the hat popped off. He's a friend of mine. But here's what I want to tell you. When Sherwood made that scene, they came out that day to make that scene. They got out there with that old torn up Kia that engine had been removed. And they got on, on, on the site, all the church members, and they had some paid professionals from out of town, Hollywood types. And those guys, they knew that they needed a forklift. And those guys who are the professionals, the only thing you do when you need something is you throw money at it. But the Sherwood members gathered in a circle while those professionals talked about the money, and they held hands, and they prayed for God to provide, just like they've been taught for years in their church. They finished praying, and they went back to get together and connect. And... Stephen told this, and it's, I kind of resented it. He said, an elderly man walked up, and he said, um, you guys look like y'all need a forklift to move that car. And they said, we do. He said, I live right over there, and I got one in my backyard that works. And so he brought the forklift over. They shot the scene. And Bob Scott, the auto director, said, Amazing. What's the odds that there'd be somebody within a mile that had exactly what we need? He probably mumbled something about a coincidence. But isn't it amazing, folks, that when you actually pray and believe, isn't it amazing how many 
coincidences actually happen? You see, the Bible tells us to believe. The Bible tells us to pray. They prayed, they believed, and God came through. This has been a rough week for us. Not only as a church, but as a community. But when we pray, God will come through. We begin a series of messages today, as you've heard me say before, entitled Becoming What Jesus Died For. Have any of you ever thought about that? I'm just going to tell you, that's our destination over the next seven weeks. I want us to be or become what Jesus died for. Have you ever gone on a trip of a lifetime? This is not my notes, so I'm going to give you this for free. I told Pud and the pastor search team we came here and told the deacons last time, if God allows, come this fall, I'm going to carry my wife on her trip of the lifetime on a cruise to Alaska. Have you ever gone on your trip of a lifetime? If you did, you sat down and you planned it. You planned the spots that you wanted to go. You planned what you wanted to do and, and how things would happen. But question for you. What the, my question for you is this. What if that trip of the lifetime could change your life forever? Well, brothers and sisters, that's what I believe our next seven weeks can be if we'll allow it. If we'll allow it. Our last pastor search update meeting, uh, Pud asked me, he said, what is your vision for our church? My vision for the New Hope Baptist family is to become the most spiritually influential in this area, most spiritually impacting in this area. And the only way for that to happen, please listen, from the newest to the oldest, from the longest term to the newest attender, the only way for that to happen for us is for us to get so intimate with God that this culture that we live in says the same thing about us individually and collectively that we say, that we read about Peter and John, the lost world said about them, they have been with Jesus. To be with Jesus means we follow him. To be, to be with Jesus is our first right decision. Because if you're with Jesus, that means Jesus has saved you and become your Savior. There may be somebody in this room. And you came with somebody, maybe you've been a church member for many years, but you have never trusted Christ. He's never become your companion. He's never become your Savior. He's never become your Lord. Let me just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says about us what we know about us. We are sinners by nature and choice. Nobody to tell you, your children, or your grandchildren how to be selfish, how to be sinful. Nobody had to tell you how to do wrong things. That came as a part of it. And because of our sinful nature, we're separated from God. And the Bible says it, it takes blood to take care of sin. So nobody here can take care of your own sin. And so what, do we, what, do we, what are we thankful for? That God sent Jesus at just the right time. He was born of a woman. He was born out of time, one out of time, to give us eternal life. He went to the cross and he died. He shed his blood for your sin and mine. He rose from the grave to make us right before the Father. 
He ascended to heaven where, where now he intercedes for us. And here's what he says. He says, you must believe, you must trust, you must invite me into your life. It means you repent of your sins and turn to him. If you've never done that, why not do that this minute? Don't wait till the end of the service. Yeah, I'm, I may call you to come forward and talk with you about it at the end of the service. Why don't you do it right now between you and the Lord? Why don't you invite him into your life? To save you. That's the first right decision you make. Now, brothers and sisters, who know Christ, who know Christ, here's the deal. The next right decision is to become so intimate with him that you want to talk to him, that you trust him, that you follow him. There's no way for us to be what Jesus intended for us to be without prayer. And I'll say this to all the members. Your personal prayer life, your personal walk with Christ impacts this church. It impacts its influence. It impacts its function. It has something to do with impact in the community. I've said this several times in three and a half months. I don't want it said I don't want it to be said about New Hope, the New Hope family, that we're a church that prays. I want it to be said about us that we're a praying church. It's not our last resort, it's our first option. We pray like they prayed over that car. We prayed and we trust. But let me just put the monkey on all of our backs. We will not be a praying church until each of us becomes a praying person. Until every decision that we make is bathed in prayer. My, my heart is this, and you know this. For those visiting with us, my heart is I believe this body wants to be the church Jesus died for us to be. To do that means that we begin at the beginning. You have that Acts chapter 2 passage. I'll let you stand. for. I know you've been up and down. That's okay. Um, stand up one more time before we uh, launch into our message. Acts 2, we're going to read verse 42 through the end of the chapter. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had Need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, put your spirit and your stamp on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On the screen, you see it coming up kind of quickly there. You see these seven things that are listed. Prayer, 
prayer. That's what they began. It's prayer that leads to worship. It's worship that leads to evangelism. It's evangelism that leads to discipleship. It's discipleship that, that leads to fellowship. It's fellowship that leads to ministry. And when those six are in order, it thrusts us into missions. This is the road. This is the destination that we are on. I want to tell you this. That first century church was a powerhouse church. They turned the world upside down and they had no resources. Do you know where it went next? I want you to read what happened next. You can follow on the screen. If you still got your Bibles open, it's Acts chapter 3. We know that they were dedicated to prayer because in Acts chapter 3 it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This demonstrates their commitment to prayer both personally and corporately. They went to prayer meeting this day. Now, if you read the story down, it's not on the screen. Let me just tell you, if you if you finish that story, what you'll discover is that as they walked in the temple this day, this is the day right after Pentecost, right after that scripture we just read, they walked into the temple and they saw a crippled man who had been crippled from birth. May I just say this to you? That's not the first day the crippled man was there. But because now they were praying, because now they were filled with the Spirit, They were sensitive that he was sitting there. They had learned, like we learn, to overlook and look around. But this day, they were so sensitive to the Spirit, they saw his need. And he asked him for some money. And here's the famous part. Peter said, look at us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. Rise up and walk. Did you hear that? Silver and gold have I none. Because you see, the truth is that Jesus tells us in Mark, probably around chapter 9, that this kind of work can only be done by prayer. In the 12th century, Thomas was walking through the Vatican with the Pope. And the Pope was pointing out the silver and the gold and the ornate building and all the extravagant stuff. And he looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, no longer can the church say, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas said, I see that you're right. But I also see that the church no longer says, rise up and walk. You see, the church of the first century depended on the power of God. It seems that today maybe we are depending on other things. But can you only remember, can you remember the rest of that story? This is a Baptist temple, if you don't know. It was, because, because they healed this man lame from birth, and the dummy didn't have sense didn't have any better sense than to get up and go dancing in the temple. You can't dance in a Baptist church, you got me? You'll get in trouble. And it got Peter and John arrested for dancing in a church. And when they got arrested, what did they do? They shared the gospel. Then they got released, and you know what they did then? They went back and joined with the rest of the disciples, and you know what they did? They prayed. And you know what happened? The building shook. The building shook. 
Somebody asked me one time, why did the building shake? And I said it was a Baptist meeting and God was trying to wake a few people up. It's more likely trying to get their attention. You see, the, the people in Acts chapter 4 with the shaken building are the mentors and examples for Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17 where they were identified by the lost world as the men who turned the world upside down. Brothers and sisters, guests, members, we have a world today. Have you been watching the news? It's already upside down. We need the Spirit, the Word, the life of Christ to turn the world back up right side up. Today our focus is on prayer. That's the beginning spot. I don't know what your concept of prayer is. But I was 10 or 11 years old. The first time I saw this little 25 or 30 second prayer. Jimmy Stewart, Shenandoah, 1965. Thought it was funny then. Think it's funny today, but it might teach us something. Todd? Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> I remember that years ago, and I, and I thought, and I barely laughed, and then I thought, well, at least he was honest. Because, you know, honestly, as a young, as a young person, that kind of seemed to reflect the prayers that I had heard prayed. Lord, we did it all, but we thank you anyway. You know what our takeaway really is? It's our prayer life. Everybody, it's our prayer life. Both individually that bleeds to corporately, that exposes the real truth about who we are, about what we believe, how we live, how we act, and how dependent we are on God. Our prayer life says a lot of things about us. You see, God's not hidden far away from us. In fact, on the screen you'll see Jeremiah, verse 29. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not part of it, not some of it. Two, two, three chapters, three or four chapters later in Jeremiah 33, he says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and hidden or unsearchable things that you have not known or do not know. You see, God is waiting for us. So let me just say three or four things about prayer before we get into the real meat of what I want to call us to. The first thing that I want to say to you is about the place of prayer. The place of prayer. Jesus said, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. 
He was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. You see, it doesn't say, with due respect and thanks, you guys, for the great singing today. He didn't say my house would be a house of singing. He didn't say my house would be a house of activities. He didn't say my house would be a house of senior adults or women ministry or anything else. He said my house will be a house of prayer. The place. Then how about the potential for your prayer? When we pray, what's the potential? Jesus said whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. I believe it's James that says you have not because you ask not. The potential of our prayer is unlimited. Hang on. The position. The position for our prayer. What position do you take when you pray? Mark 11 talks about pray standing. And I know that that's our position to stand. And yet I am reminded that the Pharisee stood to himself when in arrogance he prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like everybody else. And over there in the corner was the publican, the tax collector. He wouldn't even raise his head. I think he bowed his head, closed his eyes, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I was memorizing... First and Second Timothy. When I got to the second chapter of First Timothy, Paul writes that he was appointed as a prophet. He's not lying, he says, I appoint a prophet, a teacher. And then he goes, Therefore, watch this, men, put on your seatbelts. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray. I want men in every place to pray. Watch this. Lifting holy hands. Oops, Paul wasn't a Baptist. But I want to tell you, men, evidently it had some problems. I want men in every place to pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or argument. I think there have been some pushback. What do you think? I'm going to remind you most of all that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was on his face before God. You see, the truth is your position, the position of your body doesn't appear to be nearly as important as the position of your heart. I remember many staff meetings we found ourselves on our face before God praying for the congregation that God had given us to serve. What's your position? Last thing I would say is the priority of prayer. That's us today. That's us today. In Acts 1, they devoted themselves to prayer. In Philippians, we're told that everything comes by prayer. In Colossians, we're told to continue steadfastly in prayer. In Thessalonians, we're told to pray without ceasing. It tells us the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, prayer is a top priority. It's where we have access to the, and to the presence and the power of God. Many people never pray 
Many people never get to know God because those that do pray, it's a one-sided affair where I just walk up and I tell God everything I want Him to know and then I walk away, say amen. But listen to me. I read this statement this week. When you get people talking to God about what's on their heart, God will begin to talk to them about what's on his heart. And I would say that changes the conversation. So, prayer. I'm about to land this battleship, about to land this airplane. I'm going to address three questions. Prayer, first of all, what is it? Prayer, what is it? It's talking to God, talking with God. It's communicating with God. It's telling Him our heart. It's listening for His heart. If you've never hung around after you said amen, you might ought to say amen and just leave the prayer open and listen. Because if you'll listen, God will speak back to you. That's why Ravenhill says prayer is our weapon and it's our detergent. Detergent. Do you like that, ladies? Detergent. Why is it a detergent? Please listen. It's because if you talk with God and you listen to what he has to say, you, like me, like everybody who has ever met with God, will become aware of the sin in our lives. I've told this story many times, likely here, a little girl named Holly in our youth group. She said, we were, we were in a youth retreat and we were having sealed orders every night. And the first night was just electric and the, and the second day is we were at dinner and she goes, Brother Jerry, I've had three times to confess my sin. I can't think of anything else I've done wrong. And I said, when you get your sealed orders tonight and you go into your prayer room, I said, when you get through with the instructions, just say this, God as honest as I can be, I have every sin confessed. And I said, just ask him, Lord, is there anything I missed? I saw her breakfast the next morning. And I said, well, how did it go last night, Holly? She said, I don't think I'll do that again. (laughs) But you know what? She walked away with a clean heart because she listened to him. God's not our servant our handmaiden. He is God. He loves us. And, and that prayer is personal, can, our personal detergent, our, is how we get with him. But it's also a weapon. It's not a weapon to use against your brother or your sister. It's a weapon to encourage them and to help them. That's why we pray for people when they've lost loved ones. That's why we pray for people when they're sick. But I will tell you that prayer is so much more than praying for sick people. Michael Catt talks about it being an organ recital. Pray for Aunt Susie's little toe and for Uncle John's um, uh, wart that he's got to get taken off his neck. You know what the truth is? We should pray for people who are sick, people who have, lost, who have said goodbye to loved ones. 
We should pray for people who are really in the spiritual battle. We should pray for God's infilling and dwelling. Ravenhill said, prayer is no substitute for work, and work is no substitute for prayer. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and proposition. A week or so ago, I'm still disturbed about this, but I can't do anything about it except what we do right here. A week or so ago, we heard a perversion of prayer in the halls of Congress. Somebody asked me the next day, said, how did, it, how did we get to this, Brother Jerry? And I said, first, because we're probably not been paying attention. And second of all, because we've really not been praying. I know that's offensive to some folks. But the, but the truth is, I challenge you to prove me wrong. Why? What is ignored more or attended less among God's people than prayer meeting? Give you my confession. We have made prayer meeting into a Bible study and another large group worship service. It won't happen this week. We'll be working through the leadership of the church, but I want to tell you, my heart is to change the format. Adults, uh, Brother Evan takes care of the young people. We'll have children starting back, but our adults to turn from being a Bible study to being a prayer meeting. It could be the turning point for our congregation. Got a few things we need to do. But the truth is, is that prayer is not something that's intended to be flippantly or thoughtlessly said. I commend Eric this morning when he said, let's pause for prayer. I've heard too many, too many worship leaders go, let's say a brief prayer. Well, folks, let's either pray or let's don't. Prayer is a detergent, it's a weapon. I'm going to use an illustration some of you will be offended at, that's okay. 1945, in the course of three days, we dropped two bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Killed almost a half million people. That was sad, but it was the turning point of the war. We used our greatest weapon to win our needed victory. In spiritual warfare, prayer is our greatest weapon. So prayer, what is it? It's our weapon, it's our detergent, it's our communication to God. Here's where it's really going to get personal with you. Prayer, prayer. What does it do? What does it do? Can I just tell you? In one word, it reveals. Go ahead, Todd. It reveals. Now, I'm going to give you three things it reveals. I don't want you looking at your wife or your husband or your kids. This is very personal. First of all, it reveals our dependence on God. 
how dependent we are on God. We say we depend on him. We say we love him. We say we're committed to him. But listen, folks, have I lost you? Our prayer life reveals the truth of that statement. If we are really dependent on the Lord, then we know that we cannot be successful, walk humbly. We cannot be, cannot even function without talking to Him. We love that old gospel song, and I do too. I was raised on southern gospel music. Can't even walk without you holding my hand. Love the song. But to actually apply it to our lives kind of cramps our lifestyle. To apply it to our lives makes us admit that we're weak and frail and that we need help. And with respect to the people I love, we can't let that happen. The truth is, truth is, is prayer to the Father and dependent on the Father is kind of like I was with my dad. My dad was alive. I tried to ask him every time I did something because of what he'd done because he was such a great counselor and he'd keep me out of trouble. You see, the truth is it matters little what I say. It matters what I do each day that reveals my dependence on the Lord. Brother Jerry, you're kind of getting in my face. Well, I'm not through. Hang on. It not only reveals your dependence, it reveals our deficiency. Our deficiency. Just as much as prayer reveals our dependence on the Lord, our lack of prayer reveals our independence from the Lord. How much time we spend praying is a sign of how healthy or unhealthy our faith is. How healthy or unhealthy our soul is. How healthy or unhealthy our lack, our life is. Lack of prayer makes us spiritually weak and it makes us susceptible to the temptations of the evil one. I said this to a staff member this week. Satan knows your weakest, your weakness and he knows when you're weakest and he don't mind. Hitting you at your lowest. Lack of prayer makes you weak spiritually. Lack of prayer makes you weak emotionally. And you want to know why life is so difficult for you today? It could be the lack of prayer. It reveals your dependency. It reveals your... Efficiency, it reveals your depth in the Lord. Everybody's talking today, well, I want to be deep in the Lord. Let me tell you something. Your prayer life is the thermometer that indicates how deep you are. If you only come to him in time of trouble and hurt and heartache, even in time, only in times of thanksgiving, then it doesn't matter. I want to say that. If you only come to him in those times, then it doesn't matter how many Bible studies you're a part of, how many online podcasts you're looking at and, and listening to. It doesn't matter how much you're reading your Bible or how much uh, Bible you have in your mind. It will not matter because God is the one that gives us strength. 
a life without prayer is like a seed that's never been planted. And I'm talking not only individually, I'm talking collectively. If we're going to be what Jesus died for us to be, we have to pray. A church who doesn't pray is a church that's lost her way. I'll give you a report. We're praying through a number of things. We're praying about the soup kitchen. Boy, there are many people who have already said, boy, I'd like to be a part of the soup kitchen. Junior told me before he passed, I want to be a part of that soup kitchen. We have people that want to be a part of ministering to other people so that we can be Jesus' hands and feet. Man, I'm getting in another message, but I'm just telling you. We're praying about, we found out this week that there's a need for a possible halfway house in our area. That is, when people get out of prison, as opposed to just pointing the path that they go back in, we offer them a path to Jesus and faith and life and put them back into society where they can serve the Lord. You see, folks, prayer makes us Jesus' hands and feet. We sing, give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. This is where it begins. In prayer. So the last thing is prayer. How can we do it? How can we do it? How can we become a praying church? Now I don't have all the answers, but I have a few opportunities for us. I'm going to ask my deacons, active deacons, you don't know what's going on. Would you come down here for a second, please? I need you to help me pass something out. Come on, men. I want everybody to get one of these cards. I'll just make sure everybody gets one, then you can hang on to the extras and you turn them in in a second. Someone has once said this, nothing lies outside the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the reach of God. In your hand, you hold a prayer card. These are our first runs. My goal will be for us to have these place where you can pick them up at any time. This is not uh, brain surgery. You decide to pray for somebody. I decide to pray for Kaylee. And I offer a prayer for Kaylee. I want to encourage Kaylee. I just take the card and I pray and I put Kaylee. I want you to know I prayed for you today. I know things seem to be good, but you probably could use some help somewhere. And I'm praying for God to speak to you today. Brother Jerry, I can get, I can bring it by the office, we'll mail it, or I can mail it myself, or find some way to get it to her. I will just tell you, it'll be an encouragement one with another, and I will just tell you, you're going to have trouble. Gonna, we'll have trouble talking bad about somebody we just prayed for. Hello? This is going to be our tool. Beth and I have talked about it. We're going to get plenty printed, and, and we'll let you know where they are. This is a personal way of being involved in somebody else's life. Don't move right now. I'm hoping we have people to move and sign up. Another opportunity. We have list here. This is the mighty men of prayer. Men, I am praying that we have at least, I only put 20 blanks on here. If we have more than this, just flip it over. 
These are men who will commit. Commit. Not just sign their name, but commit to praying for their pastor, that he will have the unction and the anointing of God every day and everything that he deals with, and pray for the church that we will not get sidetracked by things that we think we can't do if we think God's calling us to do it. We need men who will pray regularly, daily for this. We'll give the invitation in a bit. The list is going to be here. There's a pen here. If you don't want to touch that pen somebody else has touched, bring your own. But I pray that we get at least 20 men who will pray for the pastor and the church. That's your assignment. Phone number's there, so if something comes up, we can let you know. Here on the other side is not a new start. We call this prayer warriors. Already we have this going. Lauren has has it on her phone. She says she has 34. Is that right, Lauren? So if you're already a part of the prayer warriors, you don't have to re-sign up. But here's what I'll tell you. She needs your name and your cell number because they do most of it by text. Did I say that right? Ladies, men, I think most of these are ladies now. Ladies or men, it doesn't matter. Something goes on and we send it out to the prayer warriors. It can get to you instantaneously. We must use today's methods for prayers if we're going to help people. Here on this table is a prayer email. We'll be working out of the office every week or two. Try to send out an email through our email client that has prayer needs on it. Now, I do understand this. But you have several places, and we have some other places used, but you will need an email address that you check, Eric. No, I'm kidding, Eric. That you check. So we'll need your name and your email address. That's not all when it comes to prayer. How can we do it? What can we do? Deacons and I have not rolled this around. just mentioned it to a couple of them. But I'm praying that we find a room in this in our huge facility that will be nothing but a prayer room. We put us a little prayer bench there. We put us some notes there. Put some of these cards there. Over the years, it put a phone there for all our church when it's, when it's manned. Maybe at the end of the service, since we're streaming and we're moving into that, that we can help people people. We can become the hands and feet of Jesus. I haven't talked to Deborah about this, and you know that it's always easier to get forgiveness than it is to gain permission. But years ago, we had a prayer retreat where people might come in this door and there'd be a prayer station in the Sunday school office that tells you a few things to say, to pray about. And then maybe you go down to the next, we'll pass the restrooms to the next room over here. There'll be another prayer station. You pray about it and it takes place over maybe a Friday or Saturday that we're praying about things. I've not given up on the altar prayer. Brothers and sisters, this is not a show. We've talked about this in Deacon's meeting. Is that when we start the service, we need to come before the Lord on our face, on our knees, asking God to speak to us. Or he talked to you about the prayer meeting and how we hope to change that. I don't know what your prayer life is, but I can tell you, we will never be what God wants us to be. Absent prayer. One writer put it this way, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't take time to pray. 
Problems just tumbled about me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. And he answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence, and I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided me by saying, My child, why didn't you knock? You see, folks, it's in prayer that we get connected. It's in prayer that we stay connected. It's in prayer that we seek the Lord. A church that prays together stays together because they are together in the Lord. Where are you in your prayer life? That is an absolute dead giveaway about where you are in your spiritual life. Humorous story about an old farm couple. They were in the old pickup truck driving along and the wife looks over at him and she says, we never snuggle up in this truck like we used to. And he looks over at her and he goes, I hadn't gone anywhere. You see, Lee Lee Turner wrote it years ago. We may have done it when I was here last time for the youth choir. Lyrics. When you say God seems so far away, who moved? When you find he's out of your heart and your mind, Who moved? God's still there. He hadn't gone anywhere. But one day, you moved. How about you? Do you need to pray for your salvation? Do you need to pray today for your restoration? Do you need to pray and recommit? Is God speaking to you about your church membership? You need to pray for somebody else. One day. Make this the first day of the rest of your life. Let's pray.